0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Thursday, March 12th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Home Editor-in-Chief Peter Sorata and joining me into this podcast is Slash Home Managing Editor, Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Writer, Swatran Bui.
1: Hey, everyone.
0: And Chris Evangelista hello folks so it seems like everything is getting shut down because of the coronavirus uh luckily we all work from home and work uh virtually together in the online space so slash film is not shut down it will continue uh and it seems like our website has basically just turned into an update for all the things being shut down because of this virus uh brad you've you've kind of taken this on i think when when you started taking this on you just thought it was gonna be a couple updates right
2: I mean, I knew it was going to continue to get bigger. I didn't know that they were going to start coming so fast and furious like every, you know, 15
0: minutes. (laughs) Yeah, it's like an avalanche. Uh, But speaking of fast and furious, that's probably the biggest one, right?
2: Yeah, that's, that was the big surprise today. Uh, Fast and Furious 9 released delayed, and not just delayed till later in the year, but delayed pretty much an entire year, all the way back to April 2nd, 2021. It's not the only movie they got delayed. A Quiet of Case 2, uh, Part 2 has been delayed, uh, hasn't been given a new release date yet. Same with The Lovebirds, starring Camille Nanjiani and Issa Rae, um, was supposed to open April 3rd, got pushed back, doesn't have a new release date yet. Uh, a bunch of shows are stopping productions that we're supposed to start mm-hmm. doing, like the second seasons of Russian Doll and Little America. Uh, CinemaCon 2020 got canceled, so you and Ben can't go and watch movie trailers and eat free movie concessions. Well, well,
0: well, well, well that shows them because me and Ben decided not to go yesterday before they canceled it, So so we beat <laughs> yeah. them to it. I feel like we broke up with them before they broke up with us.
2: <laughs> you can't fire me? I quit. <laughs> yes. Uh, Paley Fest is also postponed. That's where they usually have a lot of uh, big TV panels with the casts there, talking about the shows, uh, um, commending them, and whatnot. Usually, some news comes out of there too. Uh, all the big sports um, are coming down. Uh, NBA has suspended their their season, so has the NHL. Uh, there's rumblings that maybe Major League Baseball might. Soccer is being a little less severe. They are only uh, suspending their season for 30 days and keeping an eye on the situation. So, yeah, it's just lots of stuff. Happening. Oh, and then all the game shows and talk shows uh, that film with live audiences are being shot without live audiences. So that'll be fun. Yeah,
0: a lot of those live audiences are a lot of older people, too. So it, it makes sense that they're not going to be doing live audiences. Um, and ben, you're still hoping to go to Hamilton this weekend?
3: I mean, I'm so torn about it because uh, I think the governor of California said something this morning about, um, you know, suggesting that all events I, I want to say I'm i am probably going to get the numbers wrong. So I apologize in advance. But I want to say it's like gatherings of over 250 people or something like that should be should not happen is essentially what the, uh, the governor said. But the Pantages Theater, which is where Hamilton is is uh, making its debut today, actually basically said like the show is going to go on so i don't really know if it's like responsible to go but i've been looking forward to it for a long time and i've spent a lot of money on the tickets and i'm going with a couple friends and i just i'm really like struggling with the balance of whether or not to to do it and uh, hopefully uh, i don't know if they're going to cancel it between now and saturday night which is when i'm supposed to go see it but um we'll see what happens i guess
0: would you be happy with them canceling because if they cancel it you'll get like your tickets post payment or do you think they would re- like just give you your money back or do you think they would give you seats to another date
3: um i don't know i mean at this point i don't know what the you know like brad was just talking about some uh what was it major league soccer that's just like oh we're we're holding off for a month kind of thing like i really don't think the scenario is going to be that much better in a month <laughs> and they uh, the uh, pantages already has a lot of it's, um, spaces booked for the rest of this year. So I, am not sure if there's enough of a window for them to be like, all right, Hamilton's delayed. It's going to come back, you know, in October or something like that, if that's even possible. Um, so they might just do full refunds. I I don't know, man.
0: Well, that's tough. And, uh, Disneyland has not yet thrown in the towel, Disney world, but Disneyland is, you know, in California where you said, Gatherings over 250 people, and there's definitely over 250 people in Disneyland Resort. So uh, I'm I'm interested to see if Disneyland, uh, you know, throws in the towel. And also WonderCon, which is happening next door in next month, I think. Yeah. Um, So they they have yet to cancel
2: that Uh, as well. We have have some breaking news. Uh, New York Governor Cuomo has just announced the immediate closing of Broadway due to
1: coronavirus. Whoa. (laughs) Uh
0: Uh, My my friend who was going to
1: visit New York this weekend is definitely not going to be coming now because he's going to come for a Broadway show. You know, a few
0: minutes ago, Ben, I told you that you probably – your show this Saturday was probably still going to happen. I'm now thinking maybe not.
3: Yeah, we'll see.
0: (laughs) Uh, It'll be interesting. We'll we'll find out next week in uh, next week's Water Cooler. Okay, let's, let's dive into it. Let's talk about what we've been doing. I mentioned earlier on this week that uh last week I was in Florida. I went to Walt Disney World. It was it was kind of funny when we were when we landed in Florida, we got a, like I looked on Twitter and it was like Florida calls a state of emergency. And <laughs> when I landed in California, <laughs> California called a state of emergency. So, so I'm just going wherever the state of the emergency is apparently. Um I I was in Walt Disney World all last week or for four days. Uh, I was there to cover the new ride, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. And this is surprisingly the first time Mickey Mouse has gotten a a ride in Disney history. So it, it is kind of a, a big deal. And it was uh, in Hollywood Studios, replacing one of my favorite rides of all time, the Great Movie Ride. Uh, Jacob, do you, do you have any love for the Great Movie Ride? I assume this is probably something you, you've loved. It being a person that went to walt disney world many years ago
4: yeah absolutely when the great movie ride closed three years ago we did a big tribute article to it on the site which yeah. you can read if you search for it or maybe include in the show notes but yeah the great movie ride was a classic it was a great great ride but it was in its final years it was really showing its age in a way that was more sad than you know exciting so as it, important as that ride was to me growing up from what i've seen of mickey minis through the various youtube videos that i've watched including yours, Peter. This seems like a more-than-worthy replacement. So it looks really, really good.
0: Yeah, people keep on asking me, how is this new ride? Is Is it better than the Great Movie Ride? And th- my only problem with this ride is that it replaced the Great Movie Ride. <laughs> Other than that, this ride is incredible. It uses uh, trackless technology that we've seen recently on Rides of the Resistance and Ratatouille and uh, Pooh's Honey Hunt overseas. Uh, it, basically, what that means, for those of you who don't know, is that the ride vehicles you are on are actually being controlled without a track. So you can do some very interesting things and go in directions that you're not thinking that your cart is heading. And it kind of starts off like a train, like you're on a train and the train kind of, uh, the, the, the car, the carts behind the train kind of break off and go in their own direction. So it kind of is the basis of this whole ride. And it also uses all this like projection mapping technology that transforms the the sets that you were in and the story that you're encountering. It's it's very hard to explain. I'll put a link in the show notes to the video that Kitra and I recorded for Ordinary Adventures. Uh and you can t- watch the whole thing there. But it it is amazing if if Hollywood Studios and Disney World is still open, uh I would recommend go seeing it. go experiencing it. Or maybe after this whole virus thing that dies down. Uh but uh yeah we we went there and we also went to epcot because epcot's doing their uh their flower and garden festival by the way people have asked me like was going to disney world during last week when this was like when everything kind of like spiked up and people were like afraid to travel like people were asking like was it any less crowded in disney world and the answer is no it was more crowded because they had a new ride opening and they had this new uh Festival at the Epcot opening, and I think a lot of people spend a lot of money on those Disney vacations, and Disney is notorious for not uh giving refunds, and the, you know that it's a lot of money to spend. I think a lot of people just like didn't cancel their trips, um, but maybe that'll be changing as uh you know the tide is turning here. Uh, but we we did go to Epcot Flower and Garden Festival. This is Epcot all year round is holding these festivals, which is basically just an excuse to have these booths where you can buy little mini dishes of food and uh, creative drinks and uh, this one is around basically they have like topiaries like all over Epcot and some you know just beautiful flower displays but it's not really about that it's about eating Uh, Kitra and I recorded two videos eating I think we ate like 25 dishes and drinks over the course of two days Um, and to, to say like we didn't even t- that, that's not even the tip of the icebergs they have so many so much food there uh so if you want to check that out see what we thought of all the food and drinks there i'll put the links to those in the show notes as well um but yeah okay so, so i guess i was the only one doing anything last week everybody else was uh just holed up in their houses avoiding the coronavirus uh i guess while you were holed up jacob were you reading anything
4: uh, yeah, last, uh, water cooler talked about the book I've been reading, which has the uh, mouthful of the title, Nobody Does It Better, The Complete, Uncensored, Unauthorized Oral History of James Bond. Uh, and this is the latest oral history uh, from two writers who've written uh, numerous books together. I am pulling up their names. Uh, Edward Gross and Mark A. Altman. Uh, they did a two-volume set about the history of uh, the Star Trek franchise. Then they went on Battlestar Galactica. They went about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And they're just like these longtime film journalists. So they have... Interviews with people, you know, that are as fresh as last year and ones you know, from 20 years ago. So they have people in this book who they spoke to who have been dead for a long time, people who are still alive. And so it's this really valuable look into the history of the James Bond franchise from the people who are there. And when I first talked about it, I just started it. And I was kind of looking forward to digging in. Now I'm about 450 pages into this 800-page book. And it is a thrilling read. It is so much fun. Um, It's a good combination of hard information and analysis, but also... Backbiting and gossip and contradicting stories, like just one line of dialogue that three different people take credit for writing, <laughs> and none of them. Uh, and, and, so, and because it's oral history, uh, like all three people like saying, "Oh yeah, I wrote that," or "I wrote that," and and you don't know which one is true, but it's kind of the fun. You know, like it adds to the myth making of it. And there's just so many crazy, fun, weird stories and. For the more famous Bond movies like, you know, Goldfinger or The Spy Who Loved Me, some stories are familiar, like in The Spy Who Loved Me, Ken Adam, the uh, production designer, the famed production designer on a lot of those movies, brought in Stanley Kubrick to help him light the sets. Uh, that's, that's, but that's like, you know, known trivia. I'm super more into the trivia for like, the less known Bond movies, like knowing about things from The middle of the Golden Gun or Diamonds Are Forever or, you know, uh, For Your Eyes Only, movies that are good or bad but aren't quite as much talked about. Learning the stories from those sets is a lot more fun. Like how a group of monks were very unhappy that their church uh, gave permission to, to, to the Bond set to shoot there, so the monks started like hanging up banners to ruin all the shots. So they had to film around these monks destroying their shots. It's like st- stories like that that make this book so much fun. And like there's a great anecdote from John Landis, the director of American World in London and Animal House, who was hired to write the spot who me, but didn't uh, have a finished draft. Where he pitched an opening where James Bond escapes from uh, a group of enemies by hanging himself on a crucifix in a church, which caused the Bond producers to freak out. So it's just full of these wild, fun stories. Uh, and like I said, you got to take all of the grain of salt because this is not like a, a, a history book. It's not like a definitive research thing. It is just all the people who are there telling their side of the story. But for me, the fun is into contradictions where like someone will say, I loved working with them, and the next person will say, oh, I hated working with her. So it's it just, if you're interested in Bon Minutia, this is a must
0: read. Very cool. Ben, what have you been reading?
3: Uh, I recently read a very short book. It's called Hits and Misses from Simon Rich. And Simon Rich is the uh, creator of a TV show that I really, really loved from a few years ago called Man Seeking Woman. The whole thing is on Hulu right now. I extend a full recommendation to that show for all time. It's like so good and so underseen, I think. Um, I've talked about it a couple you know, times here and there on the podcast. But uh, Simon Rich, you know, he, he wrote for Saturday Night Live for a long time. Um, he's written on a lot of late night shows and The Simpsons, and he contributed some story material to Inside Out, I think, as well. Uh, but this is like his fifth collection of short stories. And uh, the title, Hits and Misses, is apt, as you might expect, for a series of short stories. Some are better than others. So um, you know, I'm not gonna like go through what all of them are about. Although I will say there was one that I found particularly entertaining that Uh, is told from the perspective of Paul Revere's horse. And it's like this bitter uh, recounting of how Paul Paul Revere got all the credit for riding through and telling everybody that the British are coming when the horse is the one who actually did the work in the scenario by (laughs) getting him from point A to point B that I thought was pretty funny. So um, that's just one of many, many short stories that are, you know, some of them are only like a couple pages long. Um, But uh, yeah, I I enjoy it. It's funny. It's not like, it's not going to, rock your world or anything, but uh, if you're looking for an amusing read, I would recommend Hits and Misses by Simon Rich.
0: Okay, let's move on to what we've been watching. I think we talked yesterday, but we'll briefly talk about it here. Uh, Ben and I both saw Mulan, the new Disney live-action remake, which might hit theaters in a couple weeks. Ben, do you think this is going to get canceled? Do you think this is going to get moved?
3: (sighs) Disney seems to be one of the only studios that is not instantly jumping on the bandwagon of moving its domestic releases. So I really don't know. This could be one of those things where, you know, Disney reaps the rewards of everybody else moving all of their stuff away. And Disney movies are essentially the only big things that are in theaters, you know, while everybody is um, is on alert from coronavirus stuff. So will people actually go out and see those movies? Is Disney too pot committed to to pull the plug on domestic releases? I've seen a lot of people like suggest that they should just put movies like um, Mulan and Black Widow directly onto Disney Plus. But I I don't know what that would do to their bottom line. Like, obviously, Disney is big enough where they could absorb huge losses and be totally fine. But like. With the um, the CEO transition and everything, is that the way that Bob Chapik really wants to start his his tenure at the Walt Disney Company? I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of um, there's a lot of ego and stuff involved there, and that could be determining their decisions. So all of that is a very long way, a long winded way of saying I really don't know if if Mulan is going to hit theaters domestically when it's supposed to.
0: Yeah, well, Disney Plus is the future. I I could see them definitely do it with, like, New Mutants or something like that, like a lower budget film. But, like, I don't know, it just – we'll have to see. Anyways, uh, I was never a huge fan of the animated Mulan. Not that I didn't like it, but I think I saw it at a time when I was kind of – you know, over Disney animated, I was like, you know, Oh, those that's for kids or something like that. I was in that phase and I I haven't revisited it since. So, uh, I I don't really have any nostalgia for Mulan and I was, you know, expecting, I don't know. I've, We've had a lot of stinkers from these live-action remakes, so I was not really expecting much from this. So I was really surprised at how much I like this. It, it's very majestic, beautiful-looking. The action is thrilling. Uh, it aims for a level of sophistication that I don't think you expect from these Disney live-action remakes. Uh, it is a war film. <laughs> it does get a little bit slow in the middle. Uh, i not quite sure who this movie's for or now... Who's going to see it? Because who's going to go to the theater to see it? Uh, But Ben, what did you think?
3: Uh, I liked it a lot. I, um, yeah, it's, I'm still uh, a little mixed on the whole concept of these live action Disney remakes. But uh, if they continue to make them like this, which is to say, um, diverging a lot from the animated movies, I will be much happier than I have been with the ones that have previously come out, which I feel like are a little bit too—I um, don't know—slavish to the the animated ones that came before. But uh, there's this one subplot that I didn't mention in yes- yesterday's episode that I really, really appreciated. Where there's a witch that Mulan faces off against, and that character is not in the animated movie at all. And I thought that storyline was handled very, very well, and um, was a really cool addition to. Uh, to this live-action version and sort of added to the, like, almost supernatural, like, um, wuxia elements of it. So, uh, yeah, I I enjoyed it.
0: Yes. Um, What else have I been watching? I've I've been watching Devs. This is the new show. It's an eight-episode limited series. It is from Alex Garland, who did Ex Machina and uh, Annihilation, uh, some of our favorite movies from previous years. Uh, This is on FX on Hulu, which is a little confusing. So I, I know many of you guys on this podcast have have not seen this yet. So I went to my FX on my uh, YouTube TV or whatever I have to try to record this, and I could not find devs on FX because I thought it was an FX show. Apparently, FX on Hulu means it's an FX program that is made exclusively for Hulu. It's it's very confusing. I don't, like, I don't know, what, what, why even call it FX on Hulu? Uh, but, uh, anyways. Um,
2: well, because, so, so the shows are still airing on FX, but they're only available to stream on Hulu.
0: Weird, but I can't even, like, DVR it on my, I don't know, that might be my streaming service or something. I have, like, YouTube TV or whatever. Um, anyways, uh, so if you want to find it and you have Hulu, uh, you can easily find it on Hulu. Uh, this is um, a... The story of a young computer engineer who investigates a very secretive development uh, division at this cutting edge, like Silicon Valley based company that she works at. I don't want to spoil too much about it. Uh, I will say that the ideas in here are very, like, interesting. Feels almost like very compelling conceit that feels very, like, Westworld-like. Uh, and that doesn't mean that it has anything to do with like androids or robots. That's not what I'm getting at there. Just in, in terms of like uh, like sci-fi concepts, uh, the atmosphere is very haunting. Uh, the imagery is very stunning. It's, it's what you expect from from Alex Garland and the, the music. Uh, we were halfway through the first episode and Kitro looks at me and was like, this, this show is freaking me out. The music's like Annihilation. And I was like, that's because it was made by the guy who made Annihilation and it's the same composer from Annihilation, uh, who also did, um, yeah, I think he did X Machina too. I don't know. Uh, anyways, uh, this show, uh, has Nick Offerman in it, not as, not really in a comedic role, Alison Pill and, uh. Sonia Mizuno, I think is how you pronounce her name. Uh, she was in uh, Crazy Rich Asians, La La Land. She was also in Annihilation and Ex Machina, and she's the star of the show here. Uh, it is, I'm only two episodes in. Uh, I, Chris, I I think you've seen all eight, right? Uh, yeah, I saw the whole thing via screeners. I, I reviewed it for the site. Yeah, you can't spoil anything or anything like that, but uh, tell us, what what did you think of devs?
5: I, I really like it. This is the, the, the very definition of, of uh, auteur TV because Alex Garland directs the entire thing from beginning to end. And it, it's very much feels like it's in the same uh, sort of world as both uh, Ex Machina and um, Annihilation. It's very haunting. It's very disturbing. It's very trippy. It, it's really, I, this sounds like hyperbole, but it's really not like anything else on tv right now it's very different and it's uh there's some really like disturbing stuff i forget what episode it is but there's a there's a moment where a character gets uh their neck broken and it's done in this like way i've never seen anyone do something like this before and in like i i watched it like weeks ago but i i've been like haunted by this one moment <laughs> ever since i saw it and it, it's it's not um a show for the lighthearted. uh I don't wanna spoil anything. I, I will say I think like it doesn't quite stick the landing. It comes really close, but it doesn't quite get there. But uh, everything else is, is so good and uh yeah, I, I really liked it. If if this show is like not on your radar yet, I highly recommend um checking it out.
0: Yeah, devs definitely see it. I, I will say it is a little bit of a slower burn. Um not like really slow or anything, but uh it, it, it is
5: <laughs> there are, there's like long, yeah, I was actually really impressed with how slow it is. Cause like, there's long stretches of just like silence, which is again, like not really like anything else on TV right now, but it's not like boring. It's just very reflective and very, uh, cerebral and internal. And it's it, like I said, it's, it's
0: really unique. And it opens up like each episode of like this music set to clips from that episode. I think. Is is that yeah, what's it, happening, Chris? It's so... sort of like
5: like a flash forward to like something that's going to happen later in the episode, but you don't really know it because like it's shot in this like abstract way where it's like close ups and stuff, and you're like, I don't know what the hell is going on right now. But then later, the
0: episode gets to that moment. It's interesting though because it's almost thematic in a way. It's almost like you're getting a bit of knowledge about the future before it happens. So, anyways. Yeah. Uh, Also,
2: also just FYI, I was wrong. Uh, It it actually is streaming only as part of FX on Hulu. It does not air on FX first, so there you go.
0: Why call it FX on Hulu? It makes no sense. Okay, anyways, uh, moving on. uh, Let's talk about Onward. Brad, you saw this.
2: Indeed I did, Um, and I thought it was pretty good. I wasn't blown away by it, um, wasn't completely enamored with it, but it does have some nice moments that pull out the heartstrings. Uh, I think Chris Pratt and Tom Holland are what makes it work as good as it does, because they really are just matched up great as brothers. Um, they're, uh, I think that their camaraderie works really well, and, and that's what makes the the heartstring uh, pulling moments uh, work as well as they do as far as pulling tears you know, um, out of your face. But I felt like it was still missing a little bit of something. I, I wanted them to dig a little bit more into the modern fantasy world that they build because there's some great world building here, but it's just not shown off enough. And I felt like because of that, it was missing... Some of that trademark cleverness that you expect from Pixar. Uh, you know, I I feel I feel like you know even movies like Cars, as weird as that world is, they really you know dig into like all the stuff that they've created for that world. You know where cars are these. Uh, you know anthropomorphic beings that are you know have basically uh taken the place of humans you know in in a way and I would have liked to have just seen them dig a little bit more into that um it's it's nice that you know the they're so focused on the story of these two brothers you know it's it's made to be that sort of um you know i, I guess more more in the uh, intimate story in that way but yeah I don't know I liked it but I just didn't love it.
0: And what you're talking about is there's this world that is like a fantasy world it had magic and creatures and stuff like that but technology was invented and basically we forgot about the magic and the creatures and it, like it's kind of like a backdrop uh, I said this in my reaction I think I said this on this podcast that this feels like two different movie two different ideas smashed together like this whole idea of a son trying to reconnect with his father and the story of this world. And the world stuff, I feel like, kind of gets the side shift. Uh, Jacob, you saw this film.
4: Yeah, I think I'm a bit warmer on than you guys are. I liked it quite a bit. I think it has that Coco thing going on where the first half is uh, is good, but the final half is really good and it has a great third act and a really terrific ending. There's a, some emotional beats and even a really, really fantastic sight gag in the final 20 minutes that I think are legit wonderful and it doesn't take some easy roots it it doesn't uh it has some bittersweetness to it that i really appreciated uh there's a point in the movie i said maybe roughly halfway through where the movie takes a more dramatic turn and i think that's where it really starts working and i think that the comedy in the first half is a bit easy and i do wish the world was explored a bit more but there's this uh love letter to fantasy and dungeons and dragons incorporated deep into the heart of it And it's about brothers and fathers and all the Pixar stuff that makes you soggy in the face. (laughs) I I wish it looked better. I think this is probably one of the more bland-looking Pixar movies, which is a shame. The character designs are only okay. It just it's just not as gorgeous as like Coco or even a Toy Story movie. And I just I wish that the visuals and the comedy was up to par where the emotional heart and the dramatic stakes are in the back half. Uh, but even then, a middling Pixar movie is still better than pretty much most other studios' animated output. So uh, I think Oddworld
0: is a very good movie, and
4: I, I think it's worth seeing, especially if you like Pixar.
0: Yeah, I think all three of us agree that it, you should see it, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay, uh, let's talk about The Hunt. Chris, you saw this? I did. I, I reviewed it for
5: the site. Uh, the Hunt is, of course a new Blumhouse film and it it comes loaded with controversy. It was supposed to come out a little while ago and it got pulled um, from release. They cited, you know, mass shootings as the reason for pulling it because it was about to come out on the, on a wave of like a a cluster of mass shootings. And at the same time, it was also getting a lot of flack from uh, Donald Trump and Republicans because the, you know, the plot is about, Ah, uh, quote, unquote, you know, liberal elites hunting uh, deplorables. and you know, it was getting all the all this flack. But now it's coming out now after, you know, that delay. And uh, I really did not like this movie at all. I, I thought it was kind of kind of terrible, honestly. The only thing that saves it from being a complete waste is Betty Gilpin from uh, she's on Glow. and she's she's the lead here. and she is is really good. And she's doing this really weird performance where, She keeps making these like really odd faces and and like humming to herself. I honestly don't know what the hell she's going for here, but it's so interesting and and captivating that she sort of I don't want to say saves the film because the film is not good, but she makes it worth watching. And uh, it's you know the thing that really bothered me is it has all you know it's riding this wave of controversy and you know it's trying to seem like this big subversive thing and it's really not at all it's really kind of like toothless and it's really uh, neutral and it doesn't like pick a side it's sort of like ah both sides are ridiculous here and i i just i feel like especially now in in this world we find us living in we don't need movies where people are like ah both sides are equally bad you know it's just it's it's a bullshit sort of approach and uh, I'm really surprised because it, it, Damon Lindelof is one of the writers and he's a better writer than this. I'm surprised that his name is on this. I don't know what exactly happened here because you you could take this material and do something interesting with it, but this
0: movie does not do that. By the way, breaking news, WonderCon has been delayed. So there you go. Ben, you also saw this film?
3: I did and I echo all of chris's thoughts actually uh everything from betty gilpin being awesome in it um she is like she's so physical and uh you know we've seen her physicality on display before in glow but it's in like she's in like action star mode here and um that really really suits her very well um i I think i would love to see her you know uh branch out and and do more movies like this um to yeah all, all of the stuff that he was talking about in terms of like the uh, the both ism that really bothered me as well. I think the script is just terrible. There's there's, oh God, I, I wish I could talk about like the plot twists and stuff that happened in this because uh, I came home and told my wife about it when I <laughs> when I got back from the screening and she was just like shocked that <laughs> that I was not making it up basically that like this is actually what happens in this movie. It it goes to some places and some things happen that um. I don't know. There was a movie at Sundance this year. I want to say it was called Zola. I don't remember if, Chris, maybe you can correct me if, that, if that's not the title, but it was supposed to be th- uh, this movie that was based entirely on a Twitter thread. Is that the name of that film? Yeah, it's it's called Zola. It's okay. the, the A24 movie with Riley Keough. Yeah, I feel like if that's the first movie based on a Twitter thread, then this movie is almost the first movie based on like a Facebook comments section because <laughs> everybody talks in – in like political buzzwords that you would see people using on Facebook. Like it is just um, it's as bad as that makes it sound. And maybe sometimes a little worse in terms of the, the script. Like there's one point where a character is like, uh, you know, these refugees are crisis actors. Trust me, I have a podcast. I've been blowing the lid off of this for years. And, and like, it's all said completely straight face. Like this, yeah. this is supposed to be serious dialogue that we're supposed to be taking seriously. And I was just like, oh my God, this is so bad.
5: Yeah, it's all like, there's a part where this, this, woman gets like blown in half and she's like dying and she's like, please kill me. And this guy's like, I don't want to kill you. And she's like, do it. You snowflake. And I was like, yeah. Oh, I hate this movie. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. That happens pretty early on and, and really um, sets a poor tone for what is to come in this
0: thing. Um, coming back from Florida. I was able to catch up on better call Saul. This is one of my favorite TV shows on television right now. And, uh, it, it is, it is so good. Uh, the, this, um, I guess I'll spoil like the first couple minutes of the show, or I'm not spoiling anything, but I'm just saying something about the first couple minutes of the season. Uh, it's I wouldn't consider it, it much of a spoiler, but uh, so far we've been seeing like these flash forwards to uh, Jimmy or Saul Goodman, or I guess he's called Gene, uh, or he's working at the Cinnabon, which I guess is a spoiler for Breaking Bad. Sorry, guys, but if you haven't seen Breaking Bad, I'm apologize um but uh we have getting these like little glimpses of him his life after breaking bad and this season opens up with like a 15 minute long sequence of uh his life after breaking bad and it's kind of very dramatic kind of very, very interesting i want to see more of of gene and i was actually like 10 minutes into this episode, I was like, oh my God, they're going on. They're going to have a full on gene episode. Unfortunately, after the, the opening title, it goes back to uh, better call. Saul. not that better call. Saul is bad, but I, I was very excited to see a full on gene episode. Um, this season on better call. Saul, uh, I guess spoiler for last season, but at the end of last season, he decides to change his name to Saul Goodman and go full on Saul Goodman. This season, I thought it was going to be more of an evolution. Like this whole show has been kind of an evolution of Jimmy to Saul. And this, this season, he's kind of pretty much Saul Goodman. We're actually seeing like a Saul Goodman show. It has a lot of fun, unexpected cameos that don't feel crammed in there that are just like interesting and uh, very fitting uh chris i know you didn't put this on your list to talk about today but i know you've been watching better call Saul, right
5: yeah i've actually i'm doing the the weekly recaps on slash film.com yeah what 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 do you you think of the season so far i love it um yeah uh, i've said this before but i i like this show even more than breaking bad and not that breaking bad is is bad i love breaking bad but i i like this more because i i like the characters more and it's interesting like i feel like this season is the season is like how everyone thought the show was going to start. Like they thought it was just going to be a Saul Goodman show. And I think it's really interesting that it's actually taken like five seasons to get to the point where everyone thought it was going to be. And that's not a knock against the show. I love how they've sort of like built it up. And uh, the season, it's kind of like, even though I love it, it's also like bringing me down a little bit because this is like the second to last season. Next, next season is going to be the final one. So it's like, you can sense they're sort of like getting near the end. And, you know, because we know yeah. You know, there, there are a lot of scenes where there are multiple characters in one scene. And if you've watched Breaking Bad, it's like, oh, all of these characters are dead. And it's like, you're just watching a bunch of people who are, are doomed and they
0: don't know it yet. And it's kind of like, <laughs> it's very bleak in a way, but I, yeah, I, I love it. I'm still curious if, do you think the show is going to end without us getting... Like the events of Breaking Bad or the – I mean, I guess we're going to have to get the after events because we're going to have to get more of Gene's story, right? Yeah, I'm
5: assuming like the final season is going to give us like full Gene episodes, but that's just like a
4: guess on my part. I really don't know.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, Let's move on to Jacob. What have you been watching?
4: Uh, I watched a movie that is proven controversial in horror film uh, circles. That's Incident in a Ghost Land. And uh, that strange title makes sense once you've seen the movie, uh, but it's written and directed by Pascal, uh, pardon me not being good with French pronunciation, uh, Lagier. Uh He did um, the film Martyrs about 10 years ago, and he did uh, the, uh, the movie The Tall Man. And Martyrs is kind of famous for being one of the most brutal and unrelenting horror films <laughs> ever made. It's a, a viscerally upsetting thing that I uh, recommend cautiously. Uh, Whereas The Tall Man, I think, is a pretty good and perfectly entertaining uh, thriller. Uh, Instead of the Ghostlands return to the martyrs' school for him, it is incredibly violent, incredibly uh, brutal, unrelenting, and most of that violence is against women. So uh, it's one of those cases where there's a conversation about whether the movie is misogynistic or hates women or or not, and I don't think it does because the violence ultimately does have a point. Uh, But just a word of warning that it is. it, it is, uh, has extreme sequences of violence and torture against female characters. But the movie is about uh, uh, two sisters and their mother move to isolated farmhouse. There's a home invasion. The home invaders are killed but 20 minutes in the movie. And then 16 years later, uh, the older sister, or uh, one of the sisters, returns to the house uh, for reasons. And a lot of very messed up things happen. And ultimately, it builds to being... It's trying to be an empowering film, and about victims and victimhood and overcoming trauma. And whether or, not, whether or not that works for you will come down to whether or not you think the tone and the approach is appropriate for that material. Because like I said, it is a bleak, unrelenting, extremely violent movie. There's, It's not it's not fun. Like It's not who you stand and watch for a good time. Uh, it, it left me feeling pretty bleak and, and drained. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think Lajier is doing very interesting things with the horror genre. He is putting a focus on on pain and suffering in a way that i think is at least interesting and opening up the conversation as to what we get out of this kind of entertainment if you want to call it that so i it's a streaming on shutter right now the horror streaming service so i recommend it for adventurous horror fan to people who are interested in having a conversation about it uh but like i said there are people out there who straight up hate this movie and chris have you seen this i feel like i it's something you would have seen by now. I have seen it. I have watched it on Shutter. Um, <laughs> I don't know how I
5: feel about it. It's never boring, it like that. But it's it's a movie where there are long stretches where everyone on the screen is like screaming and smashing things, and it's like a sensory overload at times. And uh, I'm I'm honestly not a big fan of martyrs either, and not because it, it's too violent or anything like that. I just was not. I was just not a fan of it. Like. I know lots of people are like when it comes to the the French new extreme films, I, I prefer inside a lot more than Martyrs. So that's where I stand. But uh, I, I, I don't hate this movie. It's just it's definitely like you said, it's not for everyone. And like it's one of those movies like when it was over, it was like, ah, I will never watch that again. So that that's how I feel about it.
4: Yeah, I agree. Like I have shown people inside. Like I will happily watch inside again. Another French movie that's equally violent but not as unrelenting. Uh, whereas I feel like this and Martyrs. I'm like, oh, one and done. Never again. <laughs> uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, streaming on Stars is a 1992 film, Dr. Giggles, a film that haunted the VHS section of my local blockbuster growing up, but never saw it until it was streaming here. And this is a low budget-ish slasher film from the early '90s. But a crazy doctor who escapes from mental asylum goes back to his hometown, where his doctor, where his father was a crazy doctor who haunted the town earlier. It picks up, it picks up dad's work essentially. He starts slashing his way through the town, murdering everybody with bad puns and wacky slasher kills. It's essentially, it's really their attempt to really do Freddy Krueger all over again. He's very much that tone of the later Nightmare on Elm Street movies. It's not very good. Uh, it's has some really inventive, weird kills in it. Uh, but from what I it was really cut down by the, uh, after the MPA threatened to give it an X rating, so it's not as gory as you would hope it would be for movies cartoonish and silly. Uh, but as if you're like a slasher completionist and you want to like see what's essentially the last gasp of 80s ho- slasher horror films like exist in the early 90s, it really feels like that. Uh, interesting. It's directed by Manny Cotto, who would later produ- be a, a lead producer on Twenty Four and Dexter. So it's also an f- interesting footnote for his career. Has anyone else here seen Doctor Giggles?
5: Absolutely. I love Doctor. <laughs> Giggles. I saw Doctor Giggles when I was, you know, was on VHS when I was a, a young lad, and it's it's not a good movie, but uh, I I just love that it's it's sort of like checking all the boxes, like just like Freddie. There's like a nursery rhyme about Doctor Giggles and. Uh, yeah, there like, at first he's like, he's killing people with like normal doctor instruments. Then like, there's a part where he murders like someone with a giant bandaid. Like there's no reason that he would have like a, like I'm talking like cartoonishly big bandaid. Like it, like there's no reason that it would even exist, let alone that he has it, but he's got a, he's got a giant bandaid and he murders people. And there there's like as terrible as this movie is, there's actually like a legitimately disturbing moment where you find out like the young Dr. Giggles, baby Giggles, if you will, like uh, escaped from like uh, the mob killing, like basically just like Freddy Krueger, the mob found out that Dr. Giggles, dad was killing people and they, they went to his house to kill him. And you find out the, the young Dr. Giggles escaped this by, like sewing himself up in like a dead body, it's like insane. It's really weird, and I I uh, I can't call this movie good, but I, it has a it has a place in my heart. And I always wish this had become like a, a direct to video franchise. I would love like three more Doctor Giggles movies, but alas, it never happened.
3: What in God's name are you guys watching?
5: <laughs> Come on, have you never seen Doctor Giggles? It was so. It, <laughs> It had the be- it, it. had two great taglines. So one was, sorry, the doctor is out, dot, 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 <laughs> of his mind. And then the other one was, sorry, the doctor is in, dot, 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 sane. Those were the two taglines. And Also, I should, ever... it. should
4: point out this movie has a high body count? I think, I think he racks up 25, 26 dead people in this movie, which is a lot for a single movie. So... Like, we, we, I was number in Elm Street killing maybe five or six teenagers per movie. Dr. Giggles racked up three
3: times that. It's, yeah. it's pretty impressive. Wow. It's good. I don't think I've ever heard of it before you guys are talking about it. Uh, I know it just sounds totally nuts.
5: Ben, stop what you're doing right now and watch Dr. Giggles.
0: We'll wait. Click. Um, yeah, I, I've heard of Dr. Giggles, but I've never seen it. Uh, Chris, what, what have you been watching this week? I'm, uh, I'm exhausted
5: from talking about Dr. Giggles. Um, I... <laughs> i finally saw birds of prey which is fine um i do i do think it deserved better than you know it got it feels like people ignored this um it's fun um it's you know it's no aquaman which is the best of the dceu films but i i had fun with it i don't think i didn't like that it has this weird sort of like alternate timeline thing for the first half hour where it keeps like cycling back and i i really feel like the movie didn't need that i also feel like it takes way too long to get all the characters together like i like mary elizabeth weinstead is like barely in the movie for like the first hour she doesn't like really do anything till like the last half hour and that really kind of bugged me but beyond that it's fun it's a fun movie um i i i i'm surprised it didn't do that well and uh, at the box office but i, I mostly enjoyed it um i also watched charlie's angels the new charlie's angels which is bad it's really bad uh kristen stewart is really good in it she's fun i mean everyone in it is doing the best they can the the cast has a good chemistry together but you know i like elizabeth banks as an actress but she is not a good filmmaker and this movie just looks like dull it's just shot so poorly and None of the special effects look <laughs> like they're supposed to look. I j- It's just a a waste of time, honestly, unfortunately. And also a waste of time was Bloodshot with Vin Diesel, which, you know, uh, there's not really much I can say about Bloodshot. It's, it's a movie that literally plays out as you would expect it to. Vin Diesel, uh, you know, eight minutes into the movie, Vin Diesel is already in a tank top because he's got to have that happen and it it just goes from there and uh yeah but like if you watch the trailer for bloodshot it's exactly as the trailer makes it out to be so and it's also apparently going to be the last movie ever released in theaters because (laughs) that comes out tomorrow and everything else has been canceled so i guess you have no choice but to go see bloodshot america ben what have you been watching
3: I caught up with 2018's Overlord, which is now streaming on Hulu. Actually, I think it's been streaming on Hulu for a long time. I just missed this movie. Um, it's directed by Julius Avery. I want to say that in my mind, I thought it was directed by Julius Ona, who directed The Cloverfield Paradox, which is maybe part of the reason why I skipped it at the time. I don't know. I, that, that seems like uh, maybe retconning my own life in a way, but uh, in any case, this movie is directed by Julius Avery, who's only made one other movie so far, 2014's Son of a Gun, and it was written by um, Billy Ray and Mark L. Smith, who are both very, very good writers, and I don't know if I knew that they uh, were, were the writers on this, because maybe that would have convinced me to watch this earlier. Uh, I really enjoyed this movie. I think it's, um, it's, it gets exceptionally gory at certain parts. There are some, some, um, So the premise of the movie, it's it's basically like a World War II film where uh, a paratrooper squad drops in to try to destroy this German radio tower and they discover it drops into France, I should say. And they discover that um, there's this Nazi, uh, like an experimental lab basically underneath where they're performing experiments and doing like uh, they have serums that bring people back from the dead and there's all sorts of weird shit going on. I was not expecting this movie to be like this uh, extreme. I mean it's not like um I don't know. It's it's a it walks a fine line between being like I guess you would say like uh, a regular movie watcher might think that some of the stuff was ex- extreme. I'm sure like Chris you probably didn't think the violence in in uh, Overlord was extreme considering like all of the crazy stuff that you watch on a, on a pretty regular basis I'm guessing. I mean it's no doctor. Giggles <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I liked it a lot. It's the World War II elements, like the um, soldier stuff and like the mission and all of that, I thought were exceptionally well done. and I think it uh, it really feels like a like a Wolfenstein video game, but a movie version of that. And there hasn't really been. A Wolfenstein movie so I think this you know if you're looking to scratch that particular itch if you're a a big video game fan you know you're familiar with that franchise and you've not seen Overlord uh that's really the people that I think would really get the most out of this but it has a lot of really good performances from Jovan Adepo who's in um he was in one episode of Watchmen on HBO Uh, Wyatt Russell was really great Uh, John McGarro, who has been in some stuff um he's been like around for a while but he's one of those guys like one of those uh I don't know, like that guy actors. Um, but I, I really enjoyed him in this movie. Bokeem Windbein is in it for a minute. Um, so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed Overlord a lot more than I thought I was going to. And I regret waiting so long to watch it. But anybody else who has not seen it and is interested can find it on Hulu right now. Um, I also finished McMillions. Peter, I, I know we've been talking about that a little bit on recent water cooler episodes. I just figured since the show has aired its final episode that maybe this would be just a, a brief moment for us to give our final thoughts on the whole ben, thing.
0: Ben, because of my trip, I'm only four episodes in. Oh, no. So, okay. So, All so, right. So, 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 so no spoilers. Don't tell me if the people got caught or not. I, I have no idea.
3: <laughs> I'm just okay. kidding. I'm kidding. Uh,
0: That's a joke. I'm, I'm kidding.
3: <laughs> obviously. No, I... I really don't have much to say. I just figured it would be like a good jumping off point for everybody else who may have been watching this series. But I, I would just say that I thought the final episode was the best one by a oh, long wow. shot. Um, I think it, it wraps up things in a in a pretty satisfying way. Um, and I think it's because my wife and I were talking about this afterwards, too, because uh Seemingly every other episode, I don't remember if it was literally every other episode, but most of the episodes end with sort of ridiculous cliffhanger scenarios and like where it made me roll my eyes. Because like someone the, gets
0: into a car crash.
3: Yeah. And the next episode would like immediately uh, undo the, the drama that they had created from that cliffhanger and just move on. And this one, because it's the final episode, doesn't have the ability to to do the cliffhanger ending so it just wraps up the story in a pretty satisfying way which is like what I wanted it's like a straightforward telling of what happened um, with a couple little stylistic flourishes here and there which I'm fine with but um, th- it's basically I wish all the episodes were like this uh, I still think it was way too long but um, I-, I was ultimately satisfied by uh, how McMillions came to an end so that's that It's you can watch it on uh, HBO Go right now if you are interested in that and then finally, um, I've been rewatching Breaking Bad um, for the first time since uh, uh, th- watching the show live all those years ago. And man, that show is so freaking good. I, my wife and I just finished season three last night. And uh, man, the, the season three finale where um, or the, the, the second to last episode where Walt says run and um, God, it just gives me chills, man. It's so, so good. Uh, So, yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, one of the greatest shows of all time, Breaking Bad. So uh, all that's on Netflix right now if you're interested in a rewatch of your own.
0: Hot take. Breaking Bad. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. uh, HD, what have you been watching?
1: I saw the sad Ben Affleck coach movie uh, The Way Back, and it pleases me to say that it's good. It um, is very much a movie within like that formula of the inspirational sports drama. It follows Ben Affleck's alcoholic coach who uh, is given sort of a lifeline by a, his former uh, high school um and that offers him the job of coaching the struggling basketball team, and through that, he finds redemption for himself, etc. But um, because of a really tremendous performance from Ben Affleck, who obviously uh, is working through like his own very personal issues through this film, it um, is is it's a really affecting uh, movie that works within the formula. And I also was pleasantly surprised to find that it doesn't offer sort of like those easy answers and solutions that you would generally find in these kind of inspirational sports movies. It actually isn't really much about the sports as it is about Ben Affleck's character and his struggles with uh, alcoholism and addiction and grief. And I really like that more nuanced, sort of muted um, approach to this kind of story and uh yeah ben affleck is great in this and it it is really nice that it doesn't feel just like a therapy exercise for him it feels like a really solid mid-budget drama that i feel like we've been missing from a lot of theaters and theatrical releases these days so um i i really recommend that it's the way back uh I also saw The Invisible Man, which is great. And I don't think I have anything else to add to it that everyone else hasn't said already. I love its use of negative space, the unrelenting dread throughout the way it taps into the real anxieties of um, domestic abuse victims. And um, its depiction of gaslighting and, uh, and all those sort of modern day um twists on a very classic story i haven't seen the original invisible man but i did appreciate some of the nods to the original film uh and like some of the um Easter eggs and uh, visual cues, but uh, this it's really good. And Elizabeth Moss is amazing. My God, she is just fantastic at, at playing the distressed, um, emotionally um, like slightly unhinged women. And I I do feel kind of bad that she has been kind of stuck in these roles, but she's so good at it that I um, am not. I don't feel that bad. So, um, but yeah, The Invisible Man, great. Um, I also saw uh, My Spy, which uh, I saw screening of. For, to to review for this week until it got pushed back. So it's going to be another month until my review hits. But um, that's the Dave Bautista, uh spy comedy. Uh, it's kind of the typical action uh, comedy that you see those big sort of fighter uh, brawny <laughs> actors take on and to try to appeal more to the family friendly crowd and it's it's very generic and predictable in those terms the jokes are kind of limp and the script is just all right but it does make a solid case for dave batista rom-com lead which i was quite surprised that i was like wow he's 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 very charming in this he's got a real handle on physical comedy um so he's really like he's good um the movie itself is just very by the numbers and not great. But um, I, I really like Dave Bautista. He always um, impresses me every time I see him. And I, I, I like what he's doing, even if his recent choices aren't great. But um, yeah, Dave Fattisa, uh should do a rom-com next. And I would be very, I would be, I would watch it. It would be great. Um, and uh, another movie that I watched, not a new release, but um, over the weekend as um, I was kind of chilling out, not really quarantined, but not really going outside either, I decided to check out Gilda, which was streaming on the Criterion channel. It's a movie I hadn't seen before and uh, was curious about um, just because I had known so much about it through its iconography, the famous hair flip by Rita Hayworth. And um, I just wanted to see it. And uh, it's also very good. Uh, It's a very sensual, very horny movie. I was actually quite surprised, (laughs) even though it is very famous based on just Rita, Rita, Rita Hayworth's um, sex appeal, I did like, uh, I, I was amused by how horny it was because there was just, it was just filled with innuendos, like every single line. I was like, how many innuendos? Were they trying to break a record or something? But uh, it, it stars um, Rita Hayworth, of course, and it stars Glenn Ford as an American gambler who um, comes under the employ of a rich uh, casino owner in uh, Argentina. And uh, he meets his the casino owner's wife, who actually happens to be an old fling of her of his, played by Rita Hayworth, and uh, they have this um, tense love-hate relationship uh, as they try to figure out um, or navigate that weird uh, threesome. Um, and uh, it's it, it's kind of like um, remind me a bit of Casablanca in some of the larger narrative beats, but it's like if Casablanca was ten times hornier and had twice as many terrible people in it, because no one here is very rege- redeemable, uh, everyone is kind of awful, but I was really fascinated by Rita Hayworth's performance and her character. Um, she is a really sexually empowered woman, which um, you know, as the femme fatale it is kind of expected that she'll be very sensual, but I was surprised by how openly she um, wielded her sexuality and uh, I for a lot of the movie, I couldn't tell if the movie just hated her or was trying to was like secretly subversively celebrating her. I mean, it was probably doing both. And it was in the '40s, so it probably mostly hated her. But uh, I was fascinated by her character and how kind of um, ahead of her time she was, despite the movie's poor treatment of her in general. But yeah, she was great. Um, her outfits are great, and uh, uh, Gilda, you know, great movie. Um, And I also started watching High Fidelity, which is uh, the Hulu series starring Zoe Kravitz. It's a reboot um, or reimagining of the John Cusack movie, which I actually had never seen. But I was curious about High Fidelity because of all the talk I'd seen about it on Twitter and wanted to check it out. And um, I I like it so far. Zoe Kravitz is um, somehow they made Zoe Kravitz, who is just an exceptionally beautiful woman, um, out somehow seem kind of mousy in some ways it's very relatable it it talks very much about sort of that millennial love life experience and um i was um i i liked how much they they made this premise from the 90s uh seem very fresh and contemporary and um and yet you know very much of that uh, speaking to that sort of millennial struggle of the uh digital versus um uh, analog, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's very much a, a series made for people who are passionate about things. I, I quite like its conversations about liking, about liking things being um, a part of your personality because I, I definitely feel that. Um, but yeah, it's ah uh, it's fun. Zoe Kravitz is great in it.
0: Very cool. Okay, let's move on to what we've been eating. I already talked about what I was eating at the Epcot uh, Flower and Garden Festival. You can find links to that in the show notes. But Brad, what have you been eating this week?
2: Just a few new things. Um, so there's a new. It sounds so weird to say this. There's a new line of yogurts that just hit the shelves. Um, but so th- there are four yogurts out there based on the primary Starburst flavors. The chewy. I don't know. Is it a taffy candy? What? Would he, what even kind of candy is Starburst? It's a chewy candy. Um, anyway, so they have an, a yogurt for each of the flavors: orange, cherry, strawberry, and lemon. And so I. I tried them out over the past week. Um, And they're all pretty good. It's kind of weird, though, because they really did, like, they, they have the exact Starburst flavor of those fruits within these yogurts. It's not just, like, you know, regular yogurt with those flavors that has, you know, the Starburst name on it, which I was partially expecting. But it legitimately tastes like you're eating a creamy liquefied starburst that you just that you don't have to chew which is kind of confusing to the mouth i guess um but they are pretty good and i have the same preference for the flavors uh, of yogurt that i would for the regular starburst which is uh orange strawberry cherry and lemon is last
0: why why do you hate lemon brad
2: I just, I've just never really been a big lemon fan. Every now and then, it's okay. I, I like lemonade, so that there's that, but just lemon as a candy flavor, I'm just like, meh.
0: What about lemon desserts?
2: Um, not particularly. Like, I think like lemon meringue pie is okay, uh, but it's nowhere near like a favorite or something that I would go out of my way to order.
0: Hmm.
2: Okay, so
0: uh, have <laughs> you been eating anything else?
2: Yeah, so uh, a while back I talked about um, trying the the return of the Twix Cookies and Cream candy bar, which was something of like a, a holy grail of a candy bar from when I was a kid. And it wasn't as great having it now as an adult. Uh, it felt like there was something different about the taste from what I remember from a kid anyway. Um, but they also turned it into an ice cream bar. And I love Cookies and Cream ice cream, so I was really excited to try this. Um, it's, it's delicious, uh, but I wasn't expecting the candy bar to also have – uh caramel in it because the candy bar twix cookies and cream doesn't have caramel in it like a normal twix does but the ice cream bar is cookies and cream ice cream with the caramel inside of the the chocolate shell so uh it's actually pretty good i, I wouldn't have normally like ever chosen to put like caramel on a cookies and cream ice cream but in this ice cream bar the the flavor combination is actually pretty good
0: interesting
2: Uh um, yeah and then there is um uh, a new dr pepper out there uh dr pepper and cream soda uh which is pretty tasty it's it's not too much of a far cry from vanilla dr pepper um it's more of the you can really t- tell the, the cream soda flavor more so as an aftertaste that has like a primary flavor uh because like the mixture you know like i said is similar to vanilla but it's uh, it's pretty solid. Uh, so i it's also out in the diet variety, which I haven't tried yet because I'm not a big diet soda fan. Even though Diet Dr Pepper is one of the few that actually captures uh, the flavor of regular Dr Pepper pretty uh, well. But yeah, the, so Dr Pepper and cream soda—it's out. You know, wherever you can find it now.
0: That sounds gross. But do, you, do you not like do you not like cream soda? I don't like Dr Pepper.
2: Oh, you don't know, like Dr. Pepper at oh, all.
0: I see. I see. Yeah. Where does the rest of this cast fall on Dr. Pepper? Jacob,
4: Dr. Pepper is delicious. Peter, like I've never heard a single <sighs> person say in
0: my like Dr. Pepper. HT Dr. Pepper.
1: I only drink Coke and only with rum and Coke. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wait, 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 wait a
0: second. Wait a second. So, so, do you just not drink soda a lot, or are you an alcoholic?
1: Both? Oh, no, both. no. I I, I don't drink soda. I just, uh, yeah, I haven't <laughs> drink soda in a long time except, uh, you know, with alcohol. So, yeah, I don't, I just drink water.
0: Chris, what about you? How do you fall in the Dr. Pepper? Uh, I don't think I've ever had Dr. Pepper. I don't drink a lot of soda, so Wait, I don't think...
2: Well, how have you never had Dr. Pepper? I don't know. If I, I, Who
5: the hell drinks Dr. Pepper? Get out of here. <laughs>
4: <laughs> what are you talking... Okay, this could be because it's, it, it originated in Texas, but, like, Saying you don't know or never had Dr. Pepper like going to Atlanta and saying you never had Coke before. It is crazy to my ears. Like, you can't get over this. This is so like, weird to me.
5: I've had, like, Diet
0: Coke. I've had uh ginger <laughs> I, I, ale. I like how Chris <laughs> says, like, he's had Do- <laughs> Diet Coke. Like, it's, like, something rare. I yeah. just – I don't drink a lot of soda. I don't know. I just don't okay, – I've okay. had yeah, sarsaparilla. So nice. Yeah, I've had
5: some, some sarsaparilla. I've had some root beer. <laughs> Some cream soda. I've had God. that
0: at one point. I just I've never had Dr. Pepper. <laughs> ben, how do you fall in Dr. Pepper?
3: Uh, I like Dr. Pepper. I think I would. I prefer root beer if the option is available. But yeah. uh, I like Dr. Pepper. I like the cherry Dr. Pepper the best personally. But that's just me.
0: Strangely, I hate Dr. Pepper, but I've had Dr. Pepper ribs where they like turn Dr. Pepper into barbecue sauce. I don't know how that works. And that Sorry, is delicious. I Sorry, should,
3: I should have clarified. Cherry vanilla Dr. Pepper is the one that I really ah. like, not just cherry. So, okay.
0: Okay. That brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at Slash Film.com. You can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at Slash Film.com. And rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.
4: Hey, hey, Peter.
0: We we already uh, talked about the Dr. Pepper thing. I know, but this is better.
4: This is a better than Dr. Pepper, Peter. No, uh, you...
0: the uh, <laughs> uh, what's better than Dr. Pepper? I mean, everything. But
4: like, so you agree, the gargantuan book of insult, offense, and effrontery, sharp retorts, riposte, caustic quips, and implied put-down by Lewis A. Safian is something you'd rather have, than Dr. Pepper?
0: Then Dr. Pepper, yes, but I I think. All right, here we go. <laughs> no, no.
4: <laughs> I open it to the husband's J- section. No, J- I've opened it to the husband's section.
1: Ah, uh, yes. I am famously a husband.
4: <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, Peter keeps reminding his husband that when he proposed, he vowed he'd die for him. All he wants to know is how soon. Uh... Wow. Arch. Ben, he's sorry now he, uh, he put her on a pedestal. She can order him around better from that position. <laughs> Chris, he's so well-trained. He feels in his pocket every time he passes a mailbox. Okay, yeah, that happens. (laughs) Uh, Brad, he frequently has to phone her to say he left his lunch money in his apron pocket. Yeah, sounds about right. And HT, she meets every matrimonial crisis with a firm hand, full of flowers
0: and candy.
1: That sounds nice.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I, 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 I'm, I'm making the official announcement, guys. Breaking news here. The coronavirus is canceling the joke book. The joke book has <laughs> been canceled. It's postponed to a later date. Uh- <laughs> the next episode. Yeah.
4: yeah I, well, I, I suppose it means that it's up to me now. I must cure the coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no.